From the Church Pension Group, this is Choose Well. Hi, my name is Krishna Dalakia, and this is Choose Well, the podcast that focuses on well-being, from maintaining physical and psychological health to being financially secure. On today's episode, we're talking about building financial skills. Our guests who are experts in the field of finance are Patty Christensen and Yannicka Ratcliffe. Patty is the Vice President in the Education and Wellness Department for the Church Pension Group. She has had years of experience working in financial education, creating resources and leading conferences for the clergy and lay employees of the Episcopal Church. Our subject matter expert today is Yannicka Ratcliffe, who is the Assistant Director in the Office of Financial Education for the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, also known as the CFPB. She works in the realm of financial literacy and well-being. I'm so excited to have both of you on the podcast today. Welcome, Patty and Yannicka. Thank you for being here. Thank you. Well, I guess I'll start off uh, with the first question, um, because I'm sure that our audience is very curious about the CFPB. So, Yannicka, could you tell us a little bit about the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau and what you exactly do there? So we've only been around since 2011, just after the financial crisis, and our name describes our mission, Consumer Financial Protection. It's a U.S. government agency, and our role is to make sure that banks and lenders and other financial institutions uh, treat consumers fairly. So we regulate financial products and services like credit reporting and payment services and bank accounts and mortgages and debt collection, at least some aspects of those along with many other products and services. And I encourage listeners to check us out at consumerfinance.gov to learn what we do. When Congress created the CFPB, they specifically uh, gave it a mission of educating and empowering consumers to make better informed financial decisions. That's what it says in the law. So in other words, they built financial education right into the consumer protection framework. And that is what my office, the, uh, the Office of Financial Education is committed. So, Janneke, what drew you to this work? You know, I think I realized early on in my career that when you're in a capitalist economy like ours, uh, you know, it's important to understand the system and be able to access the benefits and avoid the pitfalls. So I've been in helping, doing things like helping small and minority-owned businesses get loans. I've um, helped develop programs to help first-time homebuyers get mortgages. And now at the Office of Financial Education, I've had the chance to work with a great team on providing resources so that people can make financial decisions of all types, you know, that support, that support their life goals and their financial well-being. Patty, I have a, a question for you. Um, what made you get into this field? I think working, for the, working with the Church Pension Group for 27 years um, and having so many roles, um, I ended up doing a lot of the education uh, for our clergy and lay employees, and um, it's just turned to be a, just a huge passion for me. And how has uh, your work using the CFPB, has that influenced the quality of the curriculum in the Education and Wellness Department? You know, we've been using the uh, CFPB questions as part of our planning for wellness curriculum, I think, for the past three years. Um we use that actually as part of the beginning of the conference where we ask people to actually take those questions and answer them. And those questions tend to have, um, you know, there might be a statement where you have to describe your situation 
such as can I handle a major unexpected expense? And then you would say, you know, yes, completely or somewhat or not at all. Or it may have a question such as I have money left over at the end of the month, you know, always, often, never. And it gives people a sense to start to think about, um, especially for these conferences, they're about a day and a half, about where, where they stand, you know, Financial well-being, frankly, to quote the CFPB, is really a state of being, uh, reflecting a person's ability to meet current and ongoing financial obligations, you know, feeling secure in your financial future. So I find really bringing these into the conference has been incredibly helpful as people go on their, you know, the day and a half journey towards uh, financial and health well-being. And yes, if I could jump in here, yeah, this sure. is, I love to hear Patty talking about how they're mm-hmm. using the CFPB definition and questions to measure financial well-being. And I would just uh, let your listeners know that they can go to our website, consumerfinance.gov, and if they search for measure my financial well-being, they can see those 10 questions and answer them and get an answer back and some, as well as links to some resources that can perhaps help them. Two weeks after the pandemic hit, I noticed lines of people outside the food banks in my neighborhood. And it just got me thinking about the economic hardships that a lot of individuals are facing currently and that they may have been even facing before this pandemic. I think about absorbing shocks and weathering setbacks, and and I think about them as indicators of financial well-being. So I was wondering, Janneke, if you could talk a little bit about that in relation to the larger economic crisis we are currently experiencing and what financial behaviors that um, you've noticed people are engaging in our current climate. You know, you raised such a fascinating question here. Um, Our research, you know, that we did before the current pandemic quarantine, but it showed how important having some liquid savings is, you know, you could call that a rainy day fund, for example, and that even having relatively small amounts, say $400 in liquid savings, is linked to having to big differences in financial well-being score. So right now, it's quite fascinating because the macro data is showing that the national savings rate has really climbed during the pandemic quarantine. That's interesting. But, you know, we're also seeing and hearing that many households are being hit hard. And so this national savings rate kind of averages everyone together and doesn't necessarily convey the experiences of individuals and families who may be struggling. Um, unfortunately, even going into the pandemic, the, the Federal Reserve data showed that 37%, so that's almost 40% of people, responded that they would have to sell something or borrow money to cover an unexpected $400 expense. And of that 37%, 12% just flat out said they wouldn't be able to cover it. So we know even before the quarantining started that there were a lot of people out there who were vulnerable to financial shocks. So, uh, you know, there's more to be seen about how people are going to be able to recover and where this is going to leave um, individual households. But I do think it's very important to understand the unique circumstances that each individual, each family is facing. When I think about savings, I think about it as a behavior, correct? Yeah, clearly our research uh, suggests that savings is important throughout the equation and the pathway to financial well-being. And one thing that really stood out was that having a habit of saving seems to be an important factor. So we like to think about saving as a verb, you know, an action, not a noun or a certain dollar amount, but just having a regular habit of saving seems to be key. Even if it's just small amounts, it all adds up. 
And so it's a matter of trying to build that muscle of regularly setting some money aside. That's kind of what we're, our research is pointing to here. You know, I think that's interesting because, um, you know, we always talk about the why, and sometimes we have to talk about the how. And I think that's where we get into um, just talking to people about different ways they can save, not that they necessarily should be saving, but how can we save? A lot of times we'll talk at our conferences on, um, you know, the little things to look for. And I really don't love the, you know, don't go off and get yourself a latte every day. <laughs> I like people to think about the, um, you know, do we have any uh, behaviors that might be uh, costing us um, additional dollars that we don't need to spend? Are we uh, not paying our credit cards on time and we have fees? Are we getting ATM fees? Are we bouncing checks? I mean, sometimes those are the things to really take a look at. So it's not always just the, you know, bring your lunch on Thursdays and Fridays. It's it's really looking at uh, some of those other pieces. Oh, that, that's so perfect, Patty. And, and I wanted to, if I could jump in, just, you know, show like we've got this research and like so much research, it just confirms what you might get to with common sense or having been a careful uh, student of financial management, um, as Patty has been. What our data showed was there were sort of three categories of actions that were most common among people who had better financial circumstances and higher financial well-being. And that's after controlling for a whole bunch of things like income and education. And these three categories of behaviors were your basic day-to-day money management habits, right? Mm -hmm. Patty was talking about that, but it's things like checking your statements and paying your bills on time. And then there's a set of planning behaviors. It's having a budget, but it goes beyond that. It's also using that budget to Mm -hmm. guide your spending decisions. It's setting goals, and then also being able to make plans with like action steps to get you towards those goals, and then following through on those plans you made. And finally, as I've already mentioned, um, a behavior that stood out was having a habit of savings. Mm -hmm. So I think that lines right up with exactly with what you've been saying. Well, what are the tools and resources that we have? Um, We've got a lot of e-learning courses on our website, and one of them is a, uh, a goals course to have people even think about, you know, h- how do you pull together a goal that's a smart goal? Um, you know, these are things that we don't always think about, right? We always think, oh, yeah, I want to save X amount of dollars in six months. Well, how am I going to really do that? Uh, so we like to have those kinds of tools and resources available to people. And Yannicka, I know you had mentioned this, but I I was wondering if you could talk a little bit more about those behaviors and um, how financial literacy correlates to financial well-being. When we started this work on trying to understand what does financial well-being mean to people, we we asked them also a bunch of questions about what do they think had contributed to the level of financial well-being they were experiencing in their lives. And we found that they were much more likely to mention the importance of knowing how to do things than knowledge of particular financial facts. So what we did is we we named this knowing how thing. We call it financial skill, which is different than having command of a bunch of facts and terminology about finances, the kind of things that we've traditionally described as financial literacy. So this financial knowledge is important. But financial skill is a new concept, which we really um, heard from people is important. And it isn't about all those financial facts and terminology. 
financial skills we define it is about knowing when you need information to make a financial decision, where to find that information, and then how to use it and carry it out in your life. So there's this element of knowing when and how to do good financial homework on a specific decision. And being, and then there's this bit about being able to carry it out and stick to that decision, this sort of stick to if you will. So people who had those skills, along with confidence, uh, were more likely to have higher financial well-being, even when we controlled for a lot of other factors. So I think this is a real opportunity in the world of financial education to think about helping people build these skills and the confidence to put them to work. And Patty, can you can you kind of talk about your experience working with people individually and in group settings at the Planning for Wellness conferences when just tying in what Yannicka said about financial well-being and and sticking to a plan and what you've experienced. Yeah, Um, I will say that um, I love the financial skill questions when the CFPB rolled those out. We started to use those at our conferences too. Um, Again, sort of piggybacking on what Yannicka said, it really is the how, the, you know, how to make you know, I know how to make complex financial decisions. I know how to keep myself from spending too much. I think those questions have been um, incredibly helpful and also a little eye-opening to our clients because I do know that, you know, knowing how to find the answers or being comfortable to ask the questions is really what leads to more healthy financial behaviors. We are actually redoing our curriculum right now for our planning for wellness, and we are really spending um, more time on that how than we are on the whys. It just fits. It just fits into our curriculum uh, really well. It's interesting because both of you earlier on had used the word confidence, and I was wondering if you could talk about how does uh, financial competency and confidence impact our sense of financial well-being. I mentioned confidence because it came up in our research mm-hmm. uh, as a positively correlated with um, having better financial well-being. And so the research suggests that it's, it's quite helpful. But there's other research that points to the dangers of being overconfident in financial decisions, right? And so I think what, what we have to understand is how financial confidence and then financial skill, as we described it, can work together, Right. There's a big piece of financial skill that is about knowing when to ask questions. And I got to tell you, it takes a lot of confidence to ask financial questions, right? You need to sort of pause the transaction. Perhaps you have to show that you don't fully understand the terms. You may have to go to somebody who you trust for help on how to do that, how to get the answers. And now I, I feel like that really takes a lot of confidence. On the other hand, since overconfidence might prevent you from asking the right questions, right? So I think we really need to be clear about, you know, true confidence versus false confidence and how it fits in this, in this, fits in with this idea of financial skill. It's a good point. When we start at our conferences, I'll usually say, you know, we're going to be talking about, you know, complicated topics here. And I can guarantee you that I'm going to say something that you're not going to understand. And if you don't understand, the person next to you will not either. And I need one of you to raise your hand and say, you know what, I don't quite understand that concept. So I think it does go back to uh, the ability for people to feel confident enough to say, you know what, I don't know this. Um, Because I think you can get yourself into trouble 
if you are overconfident because you think, oh, I know that, and then you actually don't, and that can steer you down a, you know, a rocky road. So it sounds like the confidence piece of this is, is so crucial, and I think for a lot of people, you know, the first step is just asking the questions and being vulnerable enough to to say that, you know, you might not be as well-versed in, in this topic of finance and to, to reach out for help. For many people, changing behavior and maintaining motivation for a new habit is hard. Uh, do you have any suggestions or resources that can help people develop and stick to good financial practices? Well, at the CFPB, we have a whole lot of resources to help people navigate financial decisions. We have some specific tools that are aimed at, uh, for example, particular financial decisions. There's, for example, you can sign up for a boot camp where you will get a series of emails, help you do something specific like build a habit of savings or um, get your credit improved or work towards um, managing debt better. So you can sign up for those boot camps and get regular emails to support you in those particular goals. Beyond that, we have loads of other resources. There's like a question and answer called Ask CFPB, where we have over a thousand common questions and answers as well (laughs) to go with those questions. And then we have interactive tools on several major topics. So like if you're trying to learn more and get deeper into credit reports and scores or paying for college or buying a home, um, you can you can find resources that will help you um, make tailored decisions that you know meet your needs. We have resources for parents that are trying to teach their kids about money. We have resources for adult children who are trying to help manage the re- the money of their aging parents. So there's stuff there's something there for everybody. Uh, so I want to remind people about going to consumerfinance.gov. In particular, we've talked a lot about savings today, and as I mentioned, our research really pointed to the importance of of savings, um, of liquid savings and rainy day funds, as well as savings in general. And uh, the Bureau had, even before the pandemic, we had the director had taken initiative to encourage people to, to build rainy day savings and to help people find opportunities and vehicles and methods to do that. So we have some special resources uh, focused on learning, you know, learning how to save and how to get going with, with the savings habit when the time is right. So those are just uh, some of the of the resources that are available on consumerfinance.gov. And we will add the those resources to the resource section of the podcast. And I also wanted to give Patty an opportunity to talk about the resources offered through the church pension group. Absolutely. We um, also have lots of really good resources. I mean, obviously our conferences. We're also going to be doing more virtual workshops. We are doing webinars. Uh, Also, I want to remind everyone that we have uh, financial education specialists who are available to do a phone conversation. We have one person, Anna Mullen, who also speaks Spanish, so she can do those in Spanish where needed. Uh, so, yeah, our, our resources are on www.cpg.org. Uh, so between what we have and what they have, I think you really have the ability to get some good information. I think um, education is really one of the most important things of um, being able to stick to a habit is, is really getting yourself educated. And these resources are going to help you tremendously. 
And is the financial skill scale available online? Yes, we have it. It's available if you, again, go to consumerfinance.gov and search for measuring financial skill. You can find a printable version of the questionnaire. This was so informative, and I'm sure our audience learned and related to a lot of what you said about building financial skills. That's it for today. Thank you for listening. Theme music for our podcast is by Fran McKendry. Be sure to visit the e-learning library and learning center on cpg.org for wellness resources. And please join us again for Choose Well. Neither the Church Pension Fund nor any of its affiliates, collectively CPG, is responsible for the content, performance, or security of any website referenced herein that is outside the www.cpg.org domain or that is not otherwise associated with a CPG entity. You've been listening to Choose Well from the Church Pension Group.